the e-commerce businesses that are killing it, they really treat the business like it's a person, like it's a child. And what does your child want? And they treat it that way. And it might seem odd to some people, like it's a bit on the extreme, but hey, if you want to have a business where you don't struggle as much and your team loves it and they're giving you 110% and your customers are identifying with the brand and everybody is you know, super passionate about it, that's what you got to do. Have you ever wondered How do you grow a socially conscious and environmentally friendly e-commerce brand online while also making a profit? Yeah, me too. After watching my family members suffer through cancer and heart disease using products by companies that care more about profits than their customers, there must be a better way, right? That's when I discovered an emerging wave of successful, purpose-driven businesses and I knew I needed to be a part of it. So join me as we dive into the stories behind the most inspiring brands in the world and discover the secrets on how they successfully win over the vote of their customers' wallets and grow their business online. My name is Vincent Tanyono and welcome to the e-commerce speak podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the e-commerce speak podcast. I'm so looking forward to today's guest. Eliana Bargawi. Eliana started her first e-commerce business in way back in 2004 at just 17 years old. And since then, she's also built a few more. Then she went into marketing where she served as lead strategist at a New York City-based retention agency, working with seven and eight-figure e-commerce brands and also contributed to the e-commerce academy at Conversio, which is now known as CM Commerce. And today she consults for e-commerce brands and health help generate over a hundred million US dollars in additional revenue without increasing their marketing budget. Super excited for this. Welcome to the show, Eliana. Thank you. Thank you, Vince. It's super, super excited to be on this podcast. Thank you. I'm curious, can you share a bit about your story? What got you into e-commerce at 17 years old? And then <laughs> and what, what kept you there in, the, in this space? Very good question. When I was a kid, I actually was more interested in art. So, you know, I was a painter and I loved painting and stuff. I was convinced that I was going to be a dancer and a singer and stuff. Um, But then, you know, at the age of 17, we had a family situation where, you know, I needed to step in as the caregiver financially and and everything else. So I found myself, you know, in the U.S. needing to make money and didn't speak much English. And so I had to figure something out. Um, And so I started selling stuff online. And of course, the landscape was completely different in 2004. Um, it wasn't a huge e-commerce business or anything. I honestly had no idea what I was doing. I'm still to this day surprised I still made profit. It was very like just intuitive, just going, you know, just trying to like provide value as much as I could and just sell to people directly. So I was using like a Hotmail email address (laughs) for customer service. Um, I managed pretty much everything from an Excel 2003 um, spreadsheet. It was chaotic. It was really, really hard because I had no idea like about the tools that that were out there. It was very difficult and expensive to build a website. Um, And, you know, I was using like this forum. Basically, I was going on forums and finding my customers there. So... Um, that, what that did was you the, to build your website back then? Because Shopify wasn't a thing, I'm pretty sure, right? No, no, there was no Shopify. There was there. I don't think we're, we're definitely WooCommerce wasn't there. WordPress, no, I didn't. I actually had like finally 
had given this guy thousands of dollars to build me this really ugly, really basic one or two page thing that had my Hotmail email on it. And like, that's how people, and I would, I would like get paid sometimes with Western Union and stuff. I think that even the payment processors weren't available at the time. You had to be like more of an established business to be able to use those kind of things. So, um, you know, but the competition also wasn't as high. So I could definitely like, you know, I, I was able to, to figure my way out. But that didn't last for very long. Um, you know, back then, entrepreneurship wasn't as... Um, as encouraged as it is today. And I was in university. I got myself into university and didn't get like much encouragement from like, I at some point questioned if what I was doing was legal. Um, <laughs> didn't know because I didn't think I had a business. I thought I was just buying and selling stuff online. I didn't, I didn't know that that was considered a business. Definitely had no idea what e-commerce was. Um, so you know, that's how I got into it. But then I got like a whole bunch of jobs after um, university and I realized that that wasn't for me. The whole nine to five or like corporate was not for me. And, you know, that it's not like all of my e-commerce businesses were successes. I had more failures than successes. Um, and then I, you know, got myself into like higher level positions um, in, in the e-commerce space, helping with marketing and things like that. Cause that's what I studied. Um, and yeah, and I started consulting and everything and here I am today, so. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And I know I noticed that uh, right now you're doing a lot of uh, consulting and your website here, I noticed it's called Brands Are Alive. And I, when I first saw it, I thought that was wait, that was very interesting. And then I, I recently saw that you made a video talking about this. So can you talk right. to me like first, what, what does it mean when brands are alive and what, uh, how can businesses or the founders, how can they use this concept? Sure. So I'm really glad you asked because this is something I'm super, super passionate about. Um, so my background was in retention strategy, right? I Retention marketing. And I'm sure a lot of people know what retention marketing is, but just to clarify what it is, is basically, you know, making more money or more sales from existing customers as opposed to focusing on just acquiring more customers. You try to increase the lifetime value of your existing customers. And it's not just subscription-based um, businesses. It could be, you know any business really, but in the e-commerce space, more and more of them are focusing more on increasing the lifetime value of customers. So I did a lot of email and SMS and loyalty programs and stuff like that back in the day. And that was my expertise, right? That was my bread and butter. And that's what, that's what I did for many, many years. Um, and especially email and, you know, we got great results for clients, but what I started to realize the more I worked with brands is like, I was, I was really fascinated with why some e-commerce brands had it so much easier than others. I always thought it must be the budgets. It must be the like resources or whatever, but I started to realize that there's, there's something that's not very easily, like it's not very easily defined or it may not seem tangible at first about certain brands that made their customers and employees so much more passionate about the brand, give them 110%, be fully invested. And some other brands always struggled with their marketing. So you'd send the same freaking like type of, let's say use the same on two brands in the same industry, similar price points, similar audiences, with similar types of lists, you're using the same strategy, sending similar types of campaigns, and these two brands will have completely different results. And I know there are many variables that can come into play, but I always wanted to understand why this is. And the more I dug into it, the more I started to realize 
that some brands just felt alive. Now, in those roles where I was like doing strategy and I was always like left-brained and focused on numbers and stuff, I couldn't let myself talk about feelings with clients and I couldn't allow myself even, you know, individually, personally, and private of privacy of my own brain to even allow myself to think about, oh, it feels alive because to me, it seemed like silly, right? So I tried really, really hard to understand what that meant. And I thought I was like crazy. I was losing it. And one day I stumbled upon Susie Batiste, um, the founder of Poopery. And Poopery is, well, everybody who knows Poopery yeah. knows them from the ad created with the Harmon Brothers. <laughs> it was <laughs> great ad. Check it out. Um, and they create poop spray, basically. And it's a really interesting brand. But I was really, I, I was always very, very fascinated with brands and love, 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 love marketing and branding. So to me, it's like, it's a hobby. I could do it for free. So, you know, I, I knew about the brand, but I never knew who Susie Batiste was until I looked into it. And... Um, and I realized she was running a mentorship program called Ideas Are Alive or Alive OS, I'm sorry. And the idea was what she, what she preached or part of what she talked about in this mentorship that I took, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, a year ago or two years ago, I can't remember, was that ideas are literally alive. And she talked how, about how she spoke to this um, the scientist and he explained to her, you know, don't quote me on it because I don't know, but you know, I, I think there's a lot of truth to it, right? So I don't want to miss, um, like, I don't, I don't want to uh, butcher everything that she was teaching in my own words. So it's better that people go and check it out what she was teaching. But the idea is that ideas are literally alive. And the way it works is you'll notice it for yourself when you're talking to someone, for example, and you, and you feel this energy, you feel like that you are liking this person and, you know, you share an idea, a thought with them and the other person is on the same wavelength and the idea is alive to them. And so they perk up and they have more ideas to add on to your idea. And before you know it, this thing gets bigger and better. Whereas when something is not alive or an idea is not alive, it shrinks or it dies down, or you feel like it's a struggle, you have to push it and things like that. So anyway, to stay on course of what, you know, why I named it Brands Are Alive is because I realized that some brands almost quite literally are alive because there is a life force behind them. The founder has emotional capital behind the brand and their passion transfers onto the employees and then the the employees together they create this kind of like force field for lack of better words that attracts the customers and then the customers are motivated to care about the brand and to identify with it beyond incentives because what i was seeing is that a lot of when it comes to retention marketing a lot of brands rely on extrinsic motivators. So they rely on discounts. They rely on loyalty points. They rely on like gifts with purchase. They rely on novelty and creating excitement and stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that um, it does, it works until it doesn't, you know, it doesn't sustain attention. It only, you know, so anyway, um, I digress, but that's, that was the whole idea behind Brands Are Alive is the core of what I'm trying to convey to people or the, the core idea that I want people to get is that you can't build a business with, with carrots. You need to create passion and, and, and that passion translates into loyalty. And then the tools come in, the, the email, the SMS, the loyalty programs and stuff like that comes in later, but that's only after you've built this emotional capital, so to speak. So. Mm, yeah. So 
So if I understand correctly, that means for founders or business owners that want to apply this concept, that means it's like communicating their values, their mission to the uh, to their customers. Is that correct? Yes. And I think that a lot of brands attempt to do this, but then the way they go about it is they feel ob- it's not real. It's not coming from a good, uh, like a, a solid place where they look around, they don't dig deep within themselves and ask, what do I really care about? But instead what they do is they look around and they go, okay, what's the politically correct thing to, to say here? What should our values be? And then they try to create a brand around that. And there's just no way to build, to build that, you know, into a real purpose-driven business. It has to be, it has to be coming genuinely from the, the people behind it. You have to legitimately believe in it, right? And so you don't go out there and seek, you know, the customer's opinion and ask them, hey, what do you think our values should be? Although that's counterintuitive. A lot of people might argue that like, yeah, you're serving the customers. So therefore, no, it should be coming from the people behind the business. And so they need to understand why does this business exist which can be a terrifying question for a lot of people to ask. And then with that, you identify your values and you identify why you exist as a business. And then you translate that into something that the team can get behind and then into your marketing. But, you know, there, I'm oversimplifying it. There are many layers to it. You know, you don't just do that and then magically everything is great. You also have to align the team and fix lots of prob- internal problems and yeah, that's that's also another thing that I teach is that marketing, great marketing is also about having a team that's completely bought into the business. Uh, a lot of marketers don't think about the team. They don't think about the impact that the team has on the marketing or the branding. So, yeah, that's, that's an excellent point. Uh, the team also has to get excited about it, right? Because when even when they're like answering support questions and all those things, it all translates to a better uh, customer experience. So... I'm just uh, coming back to the brands are alive. What about those uh, businesses? I know that some founders, they don't really want to like um, share their things or they don't want to even put their, their name on their email because uh, I, for whatever reason, maybe they were planning to sell it. They just want to stand behind a, the, their brand name. So mm-hmm. how, does that still apply? Can, can it be applied to your concept of brands are alive? Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to be, you don't, it doesn't have to be about the founder. It doesn't have, the founder doesn't have to be the face of the brand. And in fact, you don't even need to, a real person or uh, an actual employee to be the face of the brand. That's why lots of brands create mascots or sometimes you don't even need to, to do that. The, the, the brand identity, that's the purpose of the brand identity. The, I, the brand needs to have, funny that you say that. Um, one thing that I learned from Susie Batiz, which I also observed when working with e-commerce brands that were doing well, is they would treat the brands like they were real people. And so Susie Batiz took it to the extreme where she would ask questions like, what does she, Poopery, what does she want? So you know how like we mostly ask, okay, what do we want to do with this business? But instead asking, what does the business want? As if it's a living entity, right? And it's it's fascinating that she took it to that extreme. But I mean, it's true. Like the 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 e-commerce businesses that are killing it, they really treat the business like it's a person, like it's a child and what does your child want? And they treat it that way. And it might seem odd to some people, like it's a bit on the extreme, but, but Hey, if, if, if you want to have a business where you don't struggle as much and your team loves it and they're giving you 110% and your customers are identifying with the brand and everybody is, 
you know, super passionate about it, that's what you got to do. You have to humanize it. So, yeah, definitely. You don't have to be, you don't have to show who you are or, or, you know, or have your name in the signature, not at all. No. Mm, yeah. Awesome. I love that. And also when I was doing my research, I also read on your website that you said that one of your proudest moments is when, uh, when a brand started to receive compliments from their customers about their marketing campaign, saying that yeah. they're actually looking forward to that. So how did that happen? Can you tell me more about that? Sure. So that actually happened recently. One of these, um, so it happened before, but I'd never, I, I had never seen like the words straight from the mouth of the customers that way. And what happened with this brand is that they had a little bit of a crisis where, well, it was a good problem because they were featured on the New York Times and then they blew up and then they started getting tons of, uh, of orders and they just didn't have enough product, didn't have enough inventory. And so they knew they weren't going to be able to fulfill as quickly as, as, as they wanted to. Plus it happened uh, after a, a major storm. So they were, yeah, they were, you know, they knew the experience wasn't going to be ideal. We sent this email that was really ugly because it was done like last minute. <laughs> we, could, we, couldn't, we couldn't really like spend a ton of time on the design and whatnot. But the language used was, there was no BS in the email. Okay. We did not try to, we didn't try to like do corporate speak or sound. We spoke very honestly. Like we were talking to our friends. We tell them the truth about what happened. Here's what happened. And listen, you're not going to get your product on time. We're really sorry about that. We really, really are sorry about that. We promise we're going to take care of you. Here's our story. You know, we're a small brand. We don't have a ton of money to spend on marketing we're caught by surprise. We're super grateful that this happened. And it was just the tone of the email was for whatever reason, they started getting like responses like, Hey, no problem. We love you. We're super happy for you guys that you had the success and whatnot. And then we started seeing comments in their reviews that, Hey, I love this brand and the emails that they send us because, um, you know, the email, they, they make us laugh. They're funny. They never, they, it's not like the other brands that are always like buy this, buy that. So they, they, the customers were saying, we're looking forward to receiving your emails, like in our, in our mailboxes, we look forward to seeing your campaigns. So to me, that was, you know, that, that really made me happy because I don't know. I, I know I work, I, I seem to be working for the benefit of the e-commerce brands, but if I'm being completely honest, I'm working for the consumer. <laughs> like I'm advocating <laughs> right. for the consumers, you know, but an e-commerce brands, the brand that understands why they exist should be happy about that. I think marketers should work for the benefit of the consumer, not necessarily because whatever is in the benefit of the consumer is in the benefit of the e-commerce brand ultimately. So yeah. yeah, I love that. Actually, I think that's the first time I hear that, like your marketers working for the consumers. So how does that affect like your the decisions, like how you craft your campaigns? How does that affect like when you're thinking about the consumers? Well, yeah, honestly, this was a huge struggle for me personally in my career getting to this point because I had to overcome lots of personal fears around it because I look around and everyone is different and everyone else is doing it the same old way. And, and you start to question, like, is something wrong with me? Am I being too like idealistic? Am I being crazy? Maybe I shouldn't be in business altogether. You know, we make clients a, a ton of money, but to, to speak about these things, it's like, it's just odd in the business space. Like people look at you weird 
you know, and that's okay if they were to just judge you. But then at the end of the day, that's how you're making your living. <laughs> so there was always this like, like the serve this, this kind of butting heads between survival, right? Like wanting to make more money and like the ego and wanting to make more money and grow and stuff and, and be successful in the traditional sense of the word, as well as being true to myself. And I had to pick being true to myself because I honestly just couldn't do it anymore. Like it was making me physically sick, quite literally sick not being true to myself. And I was pleasantly surprised to find out that when I did that, I actually got more rewards and I got like better clients, more money. I was doing much better. I was much happier. And so, you know, all those years, many years ago that I was operating from a place of fear that I was like, oh yeah, I need to be working with all these brands that I didn't really love, that I wasn't inspired by. I didn't have to do that. You know, I did not have to do that. So once I made that leap of, of faith, if you will, things actually got even better for me. So I'm, I'm really grateful. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as crafting campaigns, it starts with the brand that you work with, because ultimately, you know, I can only consult and then do the work, but only with the approval of the person. We can't create stuff that the, the brand is not, you know, on board with. And so it starts with working with people who are like-minded. Um, so that's why I, I'm very clear about like the types of brands that I work with. There's absolutely no amount of money in the world I'm going to accept for a brand that I don't, that I don't vibe with, that I don't feel like we are, you know, aligned as far as our values. It doesn't mean that brands that don't have a purpose are bad, but they have to be seeking more meaning. If they're not there yet, but they are wanting to, I welcome that. Like, I'm not going to just work with people who have already figured it out. Like, I want to help people create this in their businesses if they don't have it already. But there has to be a desire from within to, to do more than just, you know, just more revenues. And revenues, I promise you, are going to be there. But, you know, there has to be a desire to do more than that. And then, you know, the crafting the campaigns is all about um, figuring out, first of all, who we're talking to, who's the customer, and um, how is this brand making their, their lives better? How is this brand making the world a better place? What sets them apart? We, I don't try to, I, I never want to like look at what competition is doing. I think it's a complete waste of time for a brand to look at what competitors are doing. And I see it all the time. They like e-commerce brands between you and I, they spy on each other. 99% of them, they're spying on each other all day, every day. They're like going on these competitor sites and they're like, it's the, it's the, it's a recipe for losing, losing your own path. And you never want to do that. So I don't, I don't encourage it. Yeah. So it's on a um, client by client basis. Yeah. I, I love that you, you mentioned about like surrounding yourself with people who are aligned with what you're doing. And um, in our brief interaction before this, in your message, you told me that one of your goal is to build a community of purpose driven brands. Can you uh, share more on what you're currently working on? Yeah, sure. So um, I want to make this accessible to to more brands, right? Like I think that doing it one on one is 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 something I, I want to do, right? I I want to continue doing. I mean, but I want to do it with for brands that can't have access to this yet, because right now I've been working with seven and eight figure brands. But what if you're a six figure brand or even like a brand that's just starting out? You know, how do you, how do you get into something like this if you can't afford to, to have this kind of service? So what I'm trying to do ultimately is create a community where um, smaller brands can get together, even bigger brands like can get together and they, you know, they can 
they can all benefit from the teaching, but also benefit from each other as a community. I think that collaboration is a huge part of why purpose-driven brands work better than the other brands. When you have a purpose um, and you go out there and you do something like, for example, influencer marketing, you are going to have much better results than a brand that doesn't have meaning. When you go and try to get help from a vendor, the vendor is much more likely to give you, cut you some breaks then. So you'll see the benefits trickle down to every layer of your business, not just, you know, in, you know, with your team or with your customers, but everywhere you go, because you have created something for people to rally around and be passionate about, people are driven to help you. I've seen this in one of my e-commerce brands that like, that I, created and sold in 2017 was a purpose-driven business. And I had a much easier time with marketing than the other, the other brands. Um, so, you know, with a community, I feel like what I don't just feel like what I've seen is that brands are starting to help each other out, you know, and give each other a nudge. So why not take that and put it in a community basically. But, um, I, if I'm, if I'm being honest, I haven't made like uh, crazy efforts to build the, the community. It's just something that I know is going to happen in the next year or two, but, um, you know, I need to, I need to <laughs> make more of a push in that direction. That's for sure. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. I, I love what you're sharing. And um, if people, our listeners want to get more Eliana, <laughs> I know that you're putting uh, more video content on LinkedIn. Uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you or follow you and, and get more of your content? Um, brandsarealive.com forward slash learn is um, on my website. I share a few idea, uh, ideas and videos here and there about marketing and e-commerce. Um, and then if they're, you know, whenever they're ready to, to chat or to talk more, they can always click on request the call and, you know, we can schedule something out. I'll make sure to put all the, the links in the show notes and also follow um, Eliana on LinkedIn as well. And she's been posting a lot of great uh, video content there. And <laughs> all just, right. Yeah. Uh, before we wrap this up, is there any final things that you'd like to share? Any final takeaways or anything that maybe I didn't ask? I'll just leave the listeners with this one thing. I think that the world is moving to a, a, a direction, forget about e-commerce and marketing altogether. But if you look at people nowadays, um, we have overabundance of products. We have overabundance of marketing. We have overabundance of media. People have tried everything. Like they're bending over backwards to get attention. They're creating more and more products at cheaper prices, over availability. Now you can click on something and get in two days. You know, we have an overabundance of things. And so what's happening is that people are, are on top of that, they're moving away from like politics and religion and all of these things are getting slowly decentralized. So more and more people are creating their own version of religions or spiritual beliefs, their own versions of affiliation. People don't affiliate as strongly uh, with, you know, all of these things. And so what you're seeing is more and more people are seeking meaning, right? It's becoming more and more important nowadays, now that we don't struggle with survival as much as our ancestors did, that we are seeking meaning more than ever. And brands that create meaning are going to win over the long run. My message is not for people to stop uh, using incentives or stop using marketing or whatever. I'm saying this as someone who has done this in the past, you know, and who has worked in this field for so long and was gotten results with these tools. What I've seen over and over with no fail, that brands that were able to create meaning in their businesses were able to have exponentially better results than the other brands in terms of 
employee buy-in in terms of the quality of customers or pricing, the, their whole experience. And it's not just about the revenues and the money, but also about the experience of your day-to-day. And when you show up to work and your team is involved 110% and your customers love you and they forgive you if you mess up and your vendors are helpful and you're, you have a community around you and you have more stability and more recurring, you know, it's a very different experience than if you have a business that's centered around chasing after customers and chasing after the next sale and always worrying about, are we going to be around and being in the weeds of things, relying on 20,000 marketing initiatives, being totally, you know, losing your mind and stressed out and just trying to make revenue goals for next month and not being able to think beyond that. Those are completely different experiences. And what I care about more than, even more than that is being able to create uh, a workplace that's meaningful to these to these um, employees. That's also, even though this is coming from a marketer, I think this is one of the most rewarding things um, about my work. So um, yeah, I'll leave them with that. And thank you so much yeah. for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Eliana. It was such a pleasure chatting with you and learning a you. ton of, from you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Thank you. My pleasure. Bye-bye.